0: I'm Luka Doncic, and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. Oh, no.
1: This is going to be huge. 360 in the contract, never that. I just take the contact, I will bring it back. I'm running on the fast break, behind the back. Yeah, this, that, this, that, this, that. Jerk with the back. And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, and joining me today via the internet, my good friend, Brian Sutterer, Dr. Brian, we're gonna have a co- good conversation with him. We talked about a whole lot of things. We talked about uh, soft tissue injuries, uh, the NBA bubble, what he thinks about the NBA bubble. This guy is a real medical doctor and he actually has real information about real medical things that Isaac and I don't have. So this is a great conversation. It's always a good conversation when you leave it and you go, man, I think I learned something there. And so that's what you have in store today. Guys, check that out, and if you haven't, go back and listen to some of our old episodes we just recently released, uh, hearing from everybody. We have had heard from Rick Carlisle, we've heard from Luca, we've heard from Boban, J.J. Barea, Tim Hardaway Jr., almost every single Maverick, and they're, they're coming every single day, so we have a whole bunch in store for you guys. Hopefully, you enjoy this conversation with me and Brian Sutterer. All right, and welcome in. Second time guest, recurring guest, it's Dr. Brian Sutterer, uh, Brian Sutterer, MD. You know him on YouTube, and he has an incredible channel going over all kinds of sports, injuries from all kinds of sports, also on Twitter. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? I'm I'm holding in here in Florida. Um, yeah, hopefully staying safe down there. Staying safe, staying inside as much as possible, wearing the mask. Um, great. Yeah. Love Only it. going out for essentials, basically, basically at this yeah. point. I've kind of scaled everything back at this point, so
0: yeah, but for sure.
1: we want I wanted to bring Brian on to talk all things about Covid because I feel like, you know, we talk about the risks and all that, but we don't really know. I, I wanted to know a, a, like a scientific, real actual explanation of what we're dealing with with this, uh, as far as NBA players in the bubble and all that kind of stuff. So, Uh, And also, you had a recent video about a former Maverick that I found fascinating that I wanted to talk about. Uh, And So we'll talk about that towards the end. But, Brian, what do you think about the NBA bubble, this this idea of the bubble that we've kind of seen with the players are in right now? We saw Rashawn Holmes get... You know, he's in quarantine for eight days because he stepped outside to go pick up delivery. I mean, they're they're being so strict on some of these things. What do you think about the concept of the bubble? Some people are saying, you know, the bubble as a name is not good because it's not really a bubble because cast members can go in and out from Disney and all that. What do you think about the whole idea of the bubble?
0: When it first came up and, you know, and back in, gosh, you know, kind of mid-June, late June when all this was finalized, I I felt really good about it. I felt pretty optimistic that the league was taking all the necessary safe steps. And, you know, everything looked really good on paper in terms of their social distancing guidelines, their mask protocols, the testing protocols, everything on paper, I thought, looked really good. It's been interesting to see how it's all playing out now that everybody's down there. I think I'm, I've am i really enjoyed kind of seeing it's, it's almost like NBA summer camp down there. <laughs>
1: it is. Um,
0: And, you know, it's good to see that they're following pretty strict measures with players that are, you know, I I heard you hear the story about Rashawn Holmes and it's like it kind of makes it sound like he just crossed the street.
1: Yeah. Or or stepped outside or like
0: stepped (laughs) outside of the fence. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to know, actually, like, okay what did he travel somewhere? Did he take an Uber to a restaurant or what? What actually happened with that?
1: So there was this whole thing about Kelly Oubre Jr., right? I saw that, his tweet, yeah, yeah, about picking up up Uber Eats. (laughs) (laughs) And even Rashawn Holmes said that he was picking up food, so I think he had to get food delivered, and I had seen some pictures of, you know, they'd been building actual fence around the area where where all the NBA people were staying. This was a month ago or so, and so I wonder if the Uber guy or the Uber Eats guy or whatever, Postmates guy, I guess Uber Eats bought Postmates, but... He could probably only go to a certain spot, and Rashawn Holmes had to go pick it up from him. And so I wonder if that spot where he could get to was just too far out of the, the uh, circle. And he seems, uh. Rashawn Holmes seems to be like, they're trying to make a statement with that, right? They're like, yeah. okay, we're really going to stick to these guidelines.
0: I'm you know, i glad to see that they're sticking with it. I, I can't help but wonder, though, if that would have been LeBron James. Right going you know if we would have seen the same response and I'd hope so I'd, I think the league w- would you know you'd hope that they would take those same steps what's been most interesting to me since we've seen players down there now is the mingling between teams I think you know there was the the story when Chris Haynes was doing an Instagram live and I think it was when he Donovan Mitchell Ditch and Stein. Did you Kyle that? Kuzma <laughs> Did you see that one And they were, you know, like I think Chris Haynes, he was in the cafeteria and and doing his Instagram live. And I think it was Donovan Mitchell and Kyle Kuzma that walked up behind him together like they were going to eat lunch together. And my first thought was, I thought players from other teams like weren't allowed to sit indoors and like hang out, have lunch, play video games. You know, they specifically said if you're going to eat with a member of an opposing team, you have to go sit outside. And so there's been a lot more sense for me that players from opposing teams are hanging out a lot more closely than maybe the nba originally intended or envisioned them um and so i'm curious to see how all that plays out because i you know you want to keep those bubbles as small as possible within the bubble and so you want to try to keep everybody on the lakers just around people on the lakers you don't want them hanging out with guys on the bucks in case somebody on the bucks tests positive now you've got it in you know the lakers locker room so to speak so I, I hope we see a little bit more consistency with trying to keep guys from other teams from interacting with each other as best as possible. I know it's going to be hard, but, you know, I, I love the video of, of Boban and Tobias Harris like, when they were outside their hotel. That was social distancing at its finest. So I want to see more of that and, uh, and less of the guys, you know, sitting next to each other, walking in the hallways next to each other. Um, but overall, I still feel pretty optimistic about it. I think the biggest thing the NBA needs to address is the testing turnaround time with the discrepancies that we're seeing in pro sports compared to the general public. And I think it's tough to say, well, they're getting tests back in less than 24 hours when people in Florida, you know, I'm sure you've heard stories of people down there that are taking days to, you know, a week plus to get their tests back and i'd I'd like to see the nba address that question and try to give us some confidence that they're not really crossing any ethical lines here with it
1: yeah that that is a really interesting thing i saw you tweeting about that today um yeah there was a there's a reporter that lives in florida that tweeted out today i can't seem to find the tweet now but uh he said he got his test like 10 days ago and still hasn't gotten you know yeah uh, uh you know, the test results back and you just wonder, like you said, the discrepancy between what pro athletes get and what normal people get. And in some ways, right, this is the conversation we've had about, uh, the healthcare system in our country, right? Is it the the difference between uh, how much money you have? Right. (laughs) This is basically how, I mean, there's
0: no doubt that pro athletes get better, you know, quicker access to world-class doctors but that's not when it comes to a pandemic. Right so, right. so, you know, well, what if the tests were being delayed a couple of days for the general public versus five days? I I think the NBA is ultimately going to have to address this. And I hope that the reporters that are down there in the bubble are asking those questions, because I think right now that's the most important question in my mind because of what's happening around the area in Florida.
1: And the fact that the NBA is doing their bubble in Florida, the WNBA is doing their bubble in Florida. I believe
0: the MLS is also... MLS is down there. Down in Florida. You know, the MLS says, well, our testing protocol worked because we caught a positive test before the guys went out and played. Well, yeah, but it worked because you're getting such quick turnaround on your tests when somebody else might be sitting at home off work for five days. Right. Because they're waiting for their test to come back. So it's... It's something I didn't really think we were going to have to worry about, but now as the cases are spiking down there, I I really hope that people in the bubble are are asking those tough questions because I think we do need some answers from the NBA about that.
1: Yeah. One of my questions is who is doing these tests? Are these people being taken away from, you know, testing the general public to go and be in the bubble, right? Are they taking like the best of the best from certain areas and bringing them into the bubble and not having them used in the general public? You know what I mean? Like...
0: Uh, Where are they getting these
1: people to to administer these tests?
0: I think it's more so about resource allocation with um, actually running the tests. So there certainly right now are a lot of people looking for jobs in the healthcare field. I mean, despite the fact that there are so many patients with COVID, a lot of hospitals around the country are actually having people that they had to put on furlough when all this happened, because everything was shut down except for just the COVID stuff. And so that's starting to open up more. But there are certainly a lot of healthcare workers who are probably looking for job opportunities. And so in that sense, I think getting the actual people to come and administer the tests to the players probably isn't a big concern. It's more so, you know, to run those tests, you have to have different reagents, you have to have the, the materials, the supplies, you can't just take a Q-tip and and stick it straight into a machine. You have to usually mix it in some sort of solution to sort of help, you know, replicate the viral particles. And so there's there's kind of ingredients that you need to run the test. And so I think it's more about how much of those ingredients they have and where those ingredients are being used, so to speak. And so, you know, these are, I believe, just private testing companies. I think the NBA originally was partnering with a group called Quest Diagnostics, and whenever the reports first came out and, you know, a few weeks ago you looked on their website and they said typical turnaround time was two to three days. Well, now we're hearing from these companies, it's, you know, five to seven days. And I suspect a lot of that is just because of the testing volume that's coming in and just having enough of the resources and those ingredients to actually run and process the test. So it's usually more of a, a kind of, um, material limitation than it is like a manpower limitation.
1: Uh, another question I wanted to ask you about was, what do you think about the spiking COVID numbers in Florida? Because Florida, I think I saw t- today that, and we're recording this on Monday, July 13th. Uh, I I saw that if Florida was a country, they would have the sixth most COVID cases in one, in one day. Oh, I gosh. Um, which is just insane comparing yeah. the United States and what's happening throughout the rest of the world. But um, the, the idea of making a bubble is the fact that you can put it anywhere and it wouldn't really matter um, – you know what the covid numbers were outside of the bubble however it's not a real true bubble because the cast members from disney are able to come and go what do you think about that aspect right. of it and the fact that these numbers in florida are spiking so dramatically right now
0: i'm not con- too, i'm not too concerned about the cast members coming and going and you know as as much as the cases spike around um around disney as long as everybody in terms of the players are doing their best to follow the rules within the bubble. I don't think we have to be as concerned. Theoretically, the players should never have to directly encounter or work with a Disney staffer. You know, all their meals are being prepared sort of behind the scenes and then set out for them to come and get, you know, their rooms are being cleaned very well. You know, it's not like there's just employees interacting with them on a continual basis. And so you've got people that are coming in and out, but as long as, you know, rooms are getting sanitized, door handles, elevators, um, meals are being prepared at a distance, I think you can still do a pretty good job of keeping it, you know, a bubble, so to speak, in the sense that you're not having other people not within that NBA circle interacting with the NBA players. So, you know, in one sense, as unfortunate as it is, you know, eventually there's going to be so many cases in that area that it's going to sort of you could have some sort of herd immunity, you know, to where not many more people can get it just because if something spreads so much around a community, eventually it's going to get to a point where we're not going to see as many new cases because so many people are going to have it. And so, you know, it's possible that as the months or so go on here, that that's going to be the case where it's just so rampant down there in Orlando that we're not seeing as many new cases because everybody's already had it. And so if we get to a certain point where, you know, the integrity of the bubble, so to speak, has been upheld, it might actually still work out. Okay. So Overall, I still think they can do it. I think all this nomenclature of bubble versus, you know, it's like a mesh hat. I don't think really matters because ideally they shouldn't be interacting with the team. I know there was there was one team who mentioned they were around a bus driver. And aside from being around the bus driver. That was the only interaction they had had with any Disney employee, and yeah. so that's you no. know that's the ideal scenario.
1: Yeah, that was the Mavs. That was uh, Rick Carlisle. Okay, I thought the that other, might have been Rick Carlisle. The, yeah, yeah, the other day so he was he, talking
0: about driving the bus himself or something. <laughs> yeah, that was my tweet. So the
1: other day, oh, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, the other day Rick Carlisle said that the only real. You know, cast member, they've been in contact with their bus driver and they have the same bus driver every day, which I think is also a positive. They're not, you know, That's great changing yeah. out bus drivers and all that. And then somebody mm-hmm. said uh, he didn't say who the bus driver was. So maybe the bus driver was him. That was what a, a listener said. And oh, I was like, the, yeah, yeah. I was like, he did say that the bus driver had really good taste in music. It was yeah. talking him up. So maybe it was. But
0: yeah, you know, I think I've seen some pictures of people like helping the players fishing. And there's probably people that are doing something at like the golf courses um, I hope they don't let the players go and do all the amusement park rides as much as they've alluded to. I think the more you try to, you know, extend the reach that the players right. have, the more risks you're bringing in. I think this whole cornhole and fishing tournament is going to get really old, really quick, though, for these guys. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so I'm guessing in a couple of weeks they're going to be like, all right, I've 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 had enough cornhole and I've caught enough fish. Except like, Paul George yeah i said paul george yeah, he'll be okay um i could watch bobon catch and hold fish all day though so I'm, i just i'd be fine with that <laughs> i just wonder how
1: big that fish actually is right because that, yeah. that fish could look massive in your hand or my hand but
0: in that Bobans, thing I mean. looked like a tadpole <laughs> that was impressive it's wild
1: oh man yeah he, he uh it looks like animal crossing when he picks up a, yeah. a fish because it's just like the, <laughs> your person is so small in animal crossing but all the fish look you know smaller than they actually are yeah Uh, okay a couple more questions i want to get to um so a lot of people talk about covid as this sort of binary illness right you either die or you live those are the two numbers that people are really focusing on so for some of these athletes um they're not in the category of of people that are at high risk for the most part and a lot of them are you know recovering we've seen all of the players so far that have you know uh Tested positive, have recovered, and are some of them are in the bubble, like Diamond Mitchell you just mentioned. Um yep. what are some of the long-term impacts of this that are not death? <laughs> that are some that are some of these respiratory things that I've heard of and, and other things. So if a player tests positive, could there be other things that they deal with besides, you know, the worst of the worst?
0: That's a great question. And I think there certainly will be. We just don't know yet. We just don't have enough Long-term data, enough long-term testing to know those answers. I think the biggest things, though, that we have to think about short-term after somebody does have the illness is how it affects other systems in your body aside from just your lungs. So everybody kind of thinks, well, COVID—it's pneumonia. You get this, you know, this respiratory tract infection, and your lungs get affected, and you can't breathe very well, and then it goes away, and everything's fine. But we know that it affects multiple other organ systems. And oftentimes, that's a lot of the cause of death when these people get it. It's from their hearts failing. It's from blood clots that we're finding. And so, it's more so in this kind of period where players are recovering if they do test positive. That's where all this other additional testing has to come into play. And so, one perfect example is there's some, you know, some reports that younger patients in particular can develop what we call a myocarditis. So, the myocard is the heart muscle and then itis is the inflammation. So it's basically inflammation of the heart muscle because of the viral infection. And there's concerns that in some people who, you know, are maybe more asymptomatic or don't really present too profoundly that they can have this kind of low level kind of indolent myocarditis. And that of course can cause heart arrhythmias, can cause sudden cardiac death, the issues with the blood clots. I mean, these are all things that a lot of people in the media just think, well, lungs, but for the sake of taking care of these athletes, you can't focus on just the lungs. You have to make sure you're doing your cardiac screening. And I hope that's part of their protocol. I haven't seen specifically if they're doing, um, you know, like stress tests on the heart or anything like that when guys are testing positive, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're going to have a very thorough kind of multi-system body-wide evaluation that they'll have to go through because of how it affects more than just the heart. But there certainly could be things, you know, five years, 10 years down the road that, you know, we just can't predict and don't really know yet. And we'll just have to wait and see what happens. So
1: uh, I don't want to I don't want to try to pronounce the word <laughs> you use, but that's
0: different than like a heartburn, right? Yep. That's different than heartburn. So myocarditis. Um, so anytime you hear itis in medicine, that means inflammation. And then myo is the kind of Latin term for muscle. And then card is heart. So it's like heart muscle inflammation. Um, And so heartburn is more a problem with the like acid from your stomach going up into your esophagus. And so it feels like your heart hurts because it's kind of right in that area. Your esophagus is Mm. right behind your heart. Um, So they call it heartburn, but it's actually because of your stomach acid usually like going up into your esophagus. And then,
1: so then this other is actually in your heart, myocarditis. Yeah, so this is, is actually, actually in your heart. Yeah, really it's,
0: heart. Um, you know, it happens with viral infections a lot of times. And, you know, I think looking at um, one of the national cardiology associations came out with some very specific sort of return to play testing guidelines for people who had tested positive for COVID-19. Because, I mean, this is a problem that sports medicine docs all across the country and the world are going to have to deal with when, you know, high school athletes, college athletes come back to play these seasons. And in those protocols, they specifically recommend if somebody was symptomatic with COVID that you need to undergo extensive cardiac testing to specifically look for the presence of this inflammation in the heart. That's wild. Uh, yeah, I'd hope. I would assume they're doing that. I mean these these doctors for these NBA teams and the NBA medical advisors so are thorough. are bright. I mean they're the best of the best, and so I'm sure they're doing these things. It's just we don't you know hear about them out in the public.
1: Yeah, we had that story a couple of years ago about Cuban doing blood tests for his players. It was like the next level of trying to figure out what's you know what's going on in a person's body i mean they they just look at every angle it feels like (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) so hopefully they have they've figured out things like that and have noticed things like that that maybe wouldn't even make it to the news you know
0: right yeah Um,
1: okay so uh we're recording this on monday like i said and it came out today that two players out of the 320 something inside the bubble this is not you know like russell westbrook that tested positive he's outside of the bubble um, but inside the bubble, I tested positive. Does that number seem positive or negative to you? Because me just looking at it, I say, well, two is not that many people. However, they're inside the bubble and they tested positive. Maybe this is, you know, the symptoms not showing up for two weeks. It could be, what is it like two to 14 days or something that symptoms could take to show up. But, yeah, uh, could someone have contracted the you know coronavirus inside the bubble? Those are the two ways that I'm looking at it. Which way did you take that number today?
0: I overall took it to be a positive uh, piece of news. So I think those tests, if I recall correctly, were done on the seventh of July. Is that I can look um, up. I'll look I, up. I for think you. they gave us a specific date. Um, yeah. So of the 322 players since arriving on July seventh, two have returned positive. So the the big part that determines it is, you know, if they arrived on July seventh, was that positive test? on July 7th, July 8th, July 9th, or was it like yesterday? Right, So it's, it's taking a little while to get the results from those too, right? Right, so theoretically it's taking 24 hours or less, um, and they're still doing daily testing. So the difference there, if the tests were positive on you know July 7th or July 8th, so basically within the first few days of them arriving, chances are they got it outside the bubble and, their test did not become positive until a couple days after the exposure. If those tests were positive like yesterday or the day before to where, you know, it's somebody who's been in the bubble for five, six, seven days, that's when you would start to worry that they got it from within the bubble. So the big key now is going to be okay in the next week here. Are we starting to see more cases? I think if we start to see more cases from, you know, today onward, Those almost certainly would be cases that had been exposed within the bubble, but this kind of first batch could very well have been exposure outside of the bubble that just didn't manifest itself until they got here. And so it's great that we read in that report that everybody was still in quarantine and hadn't left quarantine yet. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's why the NBA did it that way. And now those players are outside of the bubble to not risk any exposure. And so I think. It's great that it was only 2. You know, I know Russell Westbrook tested positive. It's great that that was caught before he came to the bubble. So I think it's good news. I think what's going to be more telling, you know, if we start seeing positives from here out, that would be more of a sign that they were exposed within the bubble, which would of course show some, you know, concerns with the integrity of of that safety plan.
1: So so far, 2 is is a positive number. You don't want anybody yeah. to get it, but
0: Yeah, I think two is positive. And again, I think it's more just the timing of when they were positive. I think this initial batch is likely from before they arrived that they were exposed. Um, You know, now if we start seeing more, well, okay, that means they probably were exposed within the bubble. Now you've got to track it down, figure out where it was coming from.
1: The last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, former Mavericks great Dennis Smith Jr. You did a video on him recently, (laughs) and uh, a lot of our listeners love Dennis Smith Jr. He was like the hope before Luca. (laughs) He was the the one thing we really wanted to watch on the Mavs besides Dirk. Um, There's been this myth about him in the NBA, uh, and I, I guess even before the NBA, from his dad mostly, that... He, When he tore his ACL in high school, he was able to recover so quickly because he had an extra ligament in his leg. And so everyone needs to go watch that video. Uh, Brian explains it very well with diagrams and all kinds of stuff. But give a little taste of uh, what you found or what you, you consider
0: this myth of Dennis Smith Jr.'s
1: extra yeah. ligament in his knee.
0: It's funny because I, the way I worded that video, I said the legend of Dennis Smith Jr.'s extra ligament. And if, and it was really kind of funny. It was split. It's good to hear that Maz fan like him because some people were like, oh, yeah, you know, DSJ is coming back. And other people were like, legend of Dennis yeah. Smith. Like, he's a joke. Um, I think that was more like Knicks fans. Um so essentially i think it's not a exciting of a myth as it sounds you know when his dad said oh he had an extra ligament he was dunking within a couple of weeks or a month it's not like an expert impressive <laughs> um yeah but this isn't like he's some superhuman type of person i went when i was doing the research for that video you know he dunked that quickly but i'm pretty sure he still actually missed like the standard amount of time from playing competitive basketball because of his surgery so it wasn't like he was only away from the team for three months you know and then suddenly was back out there playing so you know after a month or two after an ACL tear I mean people can have some mobility and and should be moving so it's not surprising to think that somebody who really just is stubborn gets back out there and tries to dunk a basketball that is in no way like indicative of his overall recovery and like health of his knee So it would have been more impressive if his dad said, oh yeah, he's out there playing five on five, then that would have been a little bit more impressive. But basically this extra ligament, you know, we don't have official confirmation on it, but there is kind of this thought in some areas um, with medicine that people refer to something called the ALL as the fifth knee ligament or the extra knee ligament. So traditionally we think of four main ligaments. There's the ACL, the PCL, and those are deep inside the knee. And then on the outside of the knee, you have the LCL and the MCL. And so this fifth ligament, the ALL, it's basically positioned on the outside of the knee, kind of where your IT band comes down to where your knee is located. And in some patients, they have a very, very kind of well-defined ligament in that location. And the benefit of it is it sort of does double duty along with the ACL. And so if somebody has a very you know, robust, well-defined, intact ALL ligament, it's gonna sort of take some of the work away from the ACL. It's something that wasn't really clearly defined until about 2013, 2012, and the, so that's why it's still kind of considered by some to be like this kind of legend, this kind of extra ligament, so to speak. Um, but what is probably going on with Dennis Smith Jr. is that whenever he tore his ACL, my guess is that ALL was still intact. And so with that ligament still intact, you wouldn't necessarily be as impaired or as affected from your ACL being damaged. That's kind of the, the best that I could make sense out of it. Um, but it's interesting, you know, even when we do our standard anatomy lectures um, in residency and medical school, you don't really talk about that ligament just because it's not kind of across the board accepted as like a true, clear-cut, defined ligament if you went and did an MRI on your knee versus my knee, one of us might have it very well defined. And on the other person, it might just sort of blend in with the rest of the soft tissue around the knee. And so on him, it was probably just very clearly defined. Um, And you know, they mentioned it to his dad and his dad ran with it, you know, making it out (laughs) to be this like superstar. Um, If only it would've helped him play better, you know? He had to pitch him to the NBA. He had to make sure that everybody
1: knew that his son was special. Uh, Okay, last, last, last question. so we've heard a lot about people saying, "Well, soft tissue, soft tissue. This is going to be the the problem with you know, jumping right back into playoff level basketball that athletes would deal with soft tissue injuries for normal athletes, and then for athletes like Kristaps Porzingis that have you know recently recovered from an ACL tear. Uh, what is the risk, and how do you see the ramping up of of players just jumping right back into like real basketball after this time?
0: I think it depends entirely on what access to rehab and training they had during the shutdown. And so I think the guys that we heard about who said, you know, I I didn't even hold a basketball, I wasn't in the Mm -hmm. gym, I was basically just doing like prison workouts at my house. Those are the guys that I'd be more worried about just because they're going to have a shorter amount of time to get those soft tissues to get their muscles back up to that load to get their conditioning back up to the appropriate levels. But the guys that you know, like LeBron that we're continuing to work out that have access to these great facilities. I don't see this being any different than a standard start of an NBA season. I mean, even when you go back to a regular season, this is about the same amount of time that they have training camp. And so in a regular season, they're able to work out throughout the summer. And so those guys that have been able to still work out, I think are at overall the same kind of risk level. But it's the guys that didn't have access to those facilities that I would be more concerned about. And that's gonna be very individual depending on what each person had. There was an interesting study after the NBA or the NFL lockout in 2011, where they saw a huge surge in the number of Achilles tendon ruptures whenever the season finally did resume. And then that was of course the same year where the NBA had its lockout and kinda had a delay to the start of its season. And there were a ton of ACL tears during that subsequent NBA season. And so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like a, well, what actually was it? I think that was the year that Derrick Rose uh, tore his ACL. So it's like, well, was it just players who were susceptible and it just happened to be that time? Or did it have something directly to do with the shutdown? So bottom line is, I think it's a very real risk. What I'm more interested to see is what happens at the end of next regular season Because if they start the next season in, you know, mid-December, these guys that were in the finals, the conference finals, are only going to have a month, six weeks off of playing, you know, playoff-level basketball. And then they're going to have to start right back up for a regular season. And so if you think down to the playoffs next year, that's like a season and a half that's going to be basically compressed together in terms of workload. So it'll be, I think, an equal challenge at the end of next season, just based on how pushed together everything's going to be with the next transition.
1: Brian, you're so good at this. You're so good at explaining things <laughs> like that. Uh, Thank you. Go check out his YouTube channel. We'll put it in the description of this podcast. I'll also put a link in the description of this podcast to that Dennis Smith Jr. video. Everyone should go watch. Brian, thanks so much for joining us on Locked Maps.
0: Hey, thanks a lot, Nick. I appreciate it. Absolutely.